Good evening. This week's parsha, as we usher in Sefer Vayikra, is the parsha of Vayikra itself. In the opening word of the Sefer, it's Vayikra El Moshe. And there's a small aleph, which on the day when he was three years old, um, the Tzemach Tzedek, he was to become the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he lived from around 1790, 1789, until 1850-something. And uh, the he grew up in the Balatanya's house, his grandfather, because his mother, Devorah Leah, passed away at a young age. And as the minig is, we take children to yeshiva on their first day that they go there, when they turn three, we take them enwrapped in a talus, and we have a cake with the letters of the Torah on it, the olive base, and uh, it's like the beginning, and all beginnings have to be good. All beginnings have to be solid. Like it says that when we lay on Rosh Chodesh, the Parsha in Pinchas, it's Es HaKeves Echot Tasev Aboker, but in Titzav it says Es HaKeves Echot Tasev Aboker. One place there's a, a hay and one place there isn't. So Chaim Briska said, because the halacha is that we brought every day of the year the Tomid Shal Shachar and the Tomid Shal Ben Arbayim. That corresponds to our Shachars and our Mincha. And it was brought every day, weekday, Yom Kippur, Shabbos, it was brought every single day. So why in one Pasuk when the words are exactly the same, would there be an exception of that hey? That single hey on the word ho'echod in one place and the word echod in the other place. And Rav Chaim said, because the halacha is that if, let's say, one day they didn't have the proper animal to be makriv, let's say the tamit shalbin harabayim or the other one, you're allowed to. In other words, one was not dependent on the other. But there's one exception. The first day in the Mishkan, if they would have had a problem with having two animals, one for the morning, one for the afternoon, then they couldn't bring it. Every other day, in the Mishkan and the Besamigdash, if they only had one animal, they could bring it for the morning or for the afternoon. But the first day when it had to be brought, the first time, it had to be perfect because beginnings have to be in order and the foundation has to be solid and it has to be in perfect form. So that's what Rebchaim Briska said on that so the Tzemach Tzedek was brought to Yeshiva, and when he got back, he asked his grandfather, the Balatanya, because traditionally they opened to Vayikra. 
and he saw that the aleph was small. There's a small aleph at the end of the word. Why is it? And he gave a discussion, and years later he repeated everything his grandfather said. He was only a three-year-old child, and they didn't think he understood it, but he repeated it perfectly, and he understood every single word. The difference between Vayikra, there was a debate between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Moshe Rabbeinu whether there should be the Aleph there or not, because the word Vayikra is spelled with an Aleph. And that's the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted it, because it so, shows a tremendous level of love, the regular word Vayikra. But Moshe Rabbeinu only wanted the word Vayakr, Vayikra, without the Aleph to be written, because he didn't want such a public display of love for him in front of the rest of Klal Yisrael. He felt that this was not the way that he wanted Lodorus and the Torah to be written, that like put him on a pedestal and put him on a level of prominence. So they made a pshara, a compromise. And they simply made, the olive went in, but a small olive, only a small olive, and that's how in the Torah, if a Balkore would, if a Sefer would write a Sefer Torah with a regular Aleph, then it's not good, because that's not the Masorah. The Masorah is that the Aleph has to be small. Now, Vayikra ushers in the whole Indian of Karbanos, of sacrifices. And... And a sacrifice is called a korban because it means from karav, to bring close. That means a Jew who made a mistake, let's say, and he leaned up against a light switch on Shabbos. He has to, it was unintentional, he did not mean to do it, but he has to bring a korban chattis. It's not like, Okay, uh, oh, I did it. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I do? It was a mistake. And we go on. That person had to bring a korban to the Vesamikdash and had to bring a korban chattas. And it's a vehicle of getting us closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and it's really the cementing factor of the Mishkan, and it's the cementing factor of the two Bate Mikdash. That means everything was centered around the Karbanos, which, which we uh, brought in the Beis HaMikdash or in the, in the Mishkan. Now, I remember once when I had a debate with a Reform rabbi, he was the rabbi at the Westchester Temple. Um, he, he asked me the first question, like, what do I think of Tisha B'Av? So I said, Tisha B'Av is a day that 2,000 years later, in other words, if someone, let's say, lost a friend, so 50 years later is not the same as it was the year that it happened. 
it's still fresh, it's still, it's still sad, and it's still mournful, but it's not the same as the first year. But we, as a Claudius Yisrael, mourn on Tisha B'Av for something of 2,000 years ago, like it happened yesterday. So it's a day of mourning, it's a day of sadness, and we turn our sights to the future that it should be remedied with the Gula Shalema. He answered me, and he said, and in our temple, we dance, we have a big dinner, because we are very happy that the temples were destroyed, because that old-fashioned business of taking animals and killing them and and doing what was being done, it's done with, with the destruction. So for us, it's a day of celebration. So that attitude comes from ignorance. Like the Arizal says, why is it that a person who did any Avera that he has to bring a carbon, what did the animal do? That means you did something wrong. And if you did something wrong, you have to atone and you need a kapara. So why go kill an animal? So says the Arizal that there was never an animal that was picked from a flock of animals. Unless there was some neshama in that animal that had to bring the same kapara, the same chatas, or the same oila. And when the person went to the flock and there were a hundred cows and he pointed to one and he chose that cow, that was the cow in that needed the same kapora that he did. And that's why we bring the korbanos. So we're not picking on an innocent animal. We are, we are fixing and we are processing a remedy for both, for the person and for the animal. And it's a very misunderstood, the concept, because it's so alien to us. That means when we hear of things that may sound to an outsider as strange, or why do we do this or we do that, there's always an explanation, number one, that the Torah says so. The Torah says so, and... The fact is that Rashi brings that a person should never say when Shmini, two weeks we read Shmini, about kosher animals and treif animals, that, oh, it's disgusting. You know, when you talk to Bali Tshuva, they say the hardest thing for them when they became a Bal Tshuva was to give up all the seafood. Now, when it's processed, these crabs and the shrimp and whatever, and it's disgusting even to say it, it has a terrible smell to it. Yet, it is processed, and the taste of the thing is so good that the Baltruva says to give up chazer, to a ham and cheese sandwich, was much easier than giving up the shrimp. That's what they say. So Rashi says on that Pusik, don't say you're not eating it because it's disgusting and you hate it. Say it 
because the Torah prescribes it as such. Which leads me to a uh, short story. I mean, I want to get on with the Divri Torah that I have prepared for the Parsha this week. But there was a story of a young boy who there was a campaign in the town for yeshivas. And the family was Jewish, but they were not religious at all. And the people who came to solicit, to ask, give us your children, you know, so they'll learn how to read Hebrew, they'll learn culture, they'll learn the history of their people. So there was one family that gave, that allowed their four-year-old son to go to yeshiva. And he started, and uh, he loved it, and he continued for five or six years. Now, he had learned that week in his yeshiva that when we put on the right, we put on our shoes, we put on the right shoe first, then the left, and then we put on, then we... Tie the left, and then we tied the right. Now, this boy, the father, was waiting outside to take him to Yeshiva. And he was waiting, waiting. He came out from the house. And he said to the son, what took you so long? I'm waiting 10 minutes for you to come out. And the son answered, well, we learned last week that you have to put on your right shoe and then the left and then tie the left and then tie the right. The father heard that. He was enraged. He said, that's the nonsense they're teaching you? Can you explain me what the difference is if you put on the right or you put on the left this way or that way? I'm taking, I'm not driving you to the yeshiva. And he took him out of the yeshiva and he put him into public school. This boy grew up, as understandably so, with the community and with all the friends he was with in public school, not religious. And he was dating a non-Jewish girl, a shiksa. And a week before the wedding, she asked him, when you were younger, you mentioned once that you went to a Hebrew school. And why did you suddenly leave? You didn't finish elementary or high school there. And he told him the story. My father was in range because halacha. He came home, and this is a true story, because this boy became a big Russian shiva. And he came home and he's thinking about the conversation with his bride-to-be a week later. And he's thinking about the days he was sitting in the yeshiva and how they were davening. And it brought back to mind the whole, he reminisced. And he said, you know something? I'm a Jew. I cannot marry her. And he called her and he said, I hope you'll forgive me sometime in your life. 
last minute before a wedding to break it off, but I can't marry you. You're not Jewish. She said, but you're not even religious. You don't keep the religion, right? Yes, but something with your question kindled me. And they broke it off, and a week later, somebody spoke a shidduch for him, and he has children and grandchildren and everything. A regulator became completely from, and he became a Rosh Hashimah. The point I want to bring out is that things that look to us senseless, we know that when Avraham Avinu said to Lot, if you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. And if you want to go to the left, I'll go to the right. With that, he etched into the essence of Klal Yisrael the power of taking a dot on a Hebrew word and putting it from right to left or left to right. We know it says aser te aser. You should give a tenth of your money to tzedakah. And the Gemara Darshans, Aser, Bishvil Shetisasher, that the dot goes from the left onto the right. So that was Mashrish, that implanted in the Metzias, the Mahus of Klal Yisrael, the ability to uproot and to be able to effectively instill a complete different path for the person. And that's how Mekubalim explained the right shoe with the left shoe. Great detail and depth to something that somebody on the outside, what difference does it make, the right shoe, the... But it made a difference because that dot on the right versus the left made the whole difference for Claudius. So that's what the Corbanus entail. To us, it looks we're taking an animal and we're getting a kapara, and that's part of the essence of Claudius. That's the avoida of the Mishkan, it's the avoida of. And on that, the Rambam in Moran Nevuchim says that the whole reason that we have Karbanos was because there were many Goyim who, like in Mitzrayim, who used to turn into the animal, turn it into an Avodazara, like the Tleh that it was taken, the sheep, and that's what we gave for the carbon Pesach. We shechted it. And says the Rambam that the whole reason for the Karbanas was to take us out of the category of those and to show that we are not part and parcel of those who believe such a thing that in India, he writes, the Rambam writes that they go, he gives an example that they are, you know, the sacred cow that the that they believe in 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 deitizing the the animals. Hindus. But excuse me? The Hindus. The Hindus, yeah. 
Well, he says he says Hindu, and that that's referring to Hebrew. It's referring to India. And the Ramban on that show you look in this week's parsha, in the Ramban, in the beginning, and he had, I don't want to use the word attack, but he says it's divrei havolam. It's really nonsense what the Rambam is saying, and that's the word he uses, because we established an entire Uma, a nation with only the idea to not be like the Goyim. And that's why we bring Karbonas. He's And he says, the Ramban says, look at Noyach. There was no avodazor of animals by the time of Noyach and he was mocker of an animal. Kain and Hevel, there was there were no animals that were avodazor. And they were mocker of a Korban. So he says it's impossible. Korbanos are part of a kapora process that's brought to Yidden and that we're able to thrive and we are able to grow with the korbanos that we bring. And it really, to say, to, to, to ex- exempt ourselves from the shtusim that the goyim did, and that's the whole thing. And the Ramban goes on to say that we have to say when we bring the carbon certain things, that's connected to Deber, that we have to bring a carbon for. For many things that we say that could be, we promise things, we say things, we're over, lavin because of what we've said. There's machshava. The Rambam writes in one place, that the pagam of machshava is worse than maisa. That means if a person's thinking about bad thoughts, he's causing an etching into the essence of his ruchnias a bigger blemish than when he actually does the avera. So when the person brought a korban and he had to put his hands on the korban before it was brought, before it was shechted, and he had to do that, which was connected to Machshava, all of the bad intention he had, all of the negative things that were, all the Dibur, and the Misa, the actual Misa. Like I said before, you leaned up against a light switch on Shabbos, and you had to then go make a trip to Yerushalayim, stop everything, and take off all the time to go with the Corbin to Yerushalayim and be mechaper and mesaken the blemish that was created because of what you what you did. Now it was expensive. Yeah, it was expensive. And speaking of expense, um, excuse me. Did the women bring carbon or the husbands? Mach- uh, no, the men brought. And pour for their water. Yes. But uh, there's a Tobi Gota, she's a teacher in Beis Yaakov. She described the process of going through the, getting up to the base of Mikdash. It was embarrassing. People would see him, they'd understood he did a uh, Nabela. And the time that the Kohen would spend with him and talk to him about and take him around, it really filled him with great awe and really feeling he wanted to do children and do Yes, again. yeah. And he it did. Was an experience. He went home after the experience uh, cleansed. Now, the Pusik says that 
a person who brings a carbon, they bring a sheep or a goat. And what if the person could not afford a sheep or a goat? So the Pusik says, if the, he can't afford it. So he's supposed to bring two doves, two birds, which was much, much cheaper. But the Pusik says that he brought two. Echad lechatos, he was bringing a chatos. He turned on the light by mistake on Shabbos. So he was bringing a chatos to, to the base of Mikdash. But he couldn't afford it. So he's bringing now two doves. One dove is a chatos and the other is an ola. And all the Mephorshim ask, why suddenly, if he had to go to the base of Mikdash to have a kapara, why did he bring two doves? And why did they have to bring suddenly an Ola? So, and the Ramban talks about it, and the Mephorshim can look at it, that because since he couldn't afford it, and he had to bring two doves, and the Ola, the Ola was for his machshava that he was thinking... Why did the Rabbana Shalom do this to me? Other people have enough money to go to the base of Megdash and bring a sheep or a goat. I am poor. So I have to get the smack in the face. I have to bring an Ola also. Why would? Why was I put into such a position? So he has a taina on a Kurdish Baruch and says the Ramban, that he brings the oil as a kapar for the machshavas against HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which really opens up a vista for, for us all that if we could condition our minds, everyone has disappointments in life from A to Z. I don't have to enumerate this thing is a this or that thing. All different, and no one has a free ticket in Olam Hazel. But if we can arise above it, it's for our good, it's for the benefit of our family, what's happening. And we can go through it without questioning our Kurdish Baruch Hu. It's a complete different situation. And therefore the Pasuk in our Sedra says that let's say he couldn't bring the two doves of the turtle doves, one or the other. So he brings a mincha because everyone is allowed to find the resource of a little flower. The mincha was only a little flower. So even if you couldn't afford the pigeon or the dove, you brought the mincha. And the reason I'm telling you this, Dvar Torah, is because of what I'm going to say to you right now. And the halacha is that he did not bring a oila. It means we just got done saying that the guy that didn't have the money for the sheep or the goat, he had to bring a dove. And we made him bring an oiler in addition because 
human frailty. He probably had some bad thoughts. Why was he put into such a position that he couldn't afford it? Why did that Kodesh Baruch Hu do it? So if he doesn't have enough money for that, he brings a mincha, but he doesn't bring the oiler. Why not? If he's having bad thoughts about being in that position, that's called dale dalus. That means to bring the mincha, he had to be super poverty stricken. So he should for sure have to bring an oiler. He must for sure have that he, he's struggling for survival every single day of his life. So the Ebenezra says, and Ebenezra was a Rishon, lived 900 years ago. He says, because a Kodesh Baruch Hu left like Rachmanus for this guy that he's in the position, he exempted him from bringing the Oila. And even if he had all those bad Matshavas, he's Moichelim. Which is the reason I'm telling you this Vart, because we have to, all of us, are Rachmanim and Goimlei Chasadim. All of us give tzedakah, and all of us, I was just in Florida last week, and somebody came up, I, I said to him, because I saw somebody came up to him for tzedakah, and he said, no, I don't want to give you. So I went up to the person after I said, forgive me, but I would like to make a suggestion to you. He said, oh, please. I said, the Arizal said that some people are Gilgulim. They come back to, to live in this world a second time because somebody came up to them for tzedakah and they turned them down. And that person, the receiver and the giver, come back and they meet again. So I said, you don't know who that man was that you just turned down. And if you didn't have a $5 bill, give him a dollar. And if you didn't have a dollar, give him a quarter. But give, and I'd like to take out a dollar. I took out a dollar and I gave it to him. And I said to him, this is a matana. Not I'm making you a shliach to give the tzedakah. I'm making you a, giving you a matana that it's yours. So when you give it to him, you are giving the tzedakah. And he smiled, he thanked me, he took the dollar and he went, went over to the, to the other person. So he came back to me and he said, but some people don't need it. So I said to him, listen, if someone doesn't need it and he's walking around asking for a nadava, he needs the tzedakah, probably he's sick and he needs the compassion or the money, whatever the thing is that's driving him to do it, we have to. So that's why I told you this vort about us having Rachmanus, some people. We sometimes have Rachmanus. And most of the time we do. When we hear a story of someone struggling this, and we want to help. But sometimes we throw out much of the schus in our attitude. In other words, we give the money and we think, well, I just gave you the money. What are we embarrassed the guy? We yell at him. We, we, uh. So we take away the packaging of the mitzvah that it's not as pure and uh, with the full luster and the ribbons and the bows and the everything that looks so beautiful 
in the mice at Sadaka in our attitude and how we deal. And that we learned from this mincha that Akkadish Baruch said, no, you're in the bottom of the totem pole. I don't want an ola from you. And even if you had back Dakshavas, I have Rachmanus on you. Now, the Pasuk says, Asher Nasi Yecheto, that if the king made a mistake, he said to do something, the Jewish king, and it was a mistake, and it was an Avera at the end, but it was Peshogeng. He thought that he was directing properly. So Rashi says the Lashen used in the Pasuk is Asher Nosi Yechato. And usually it, it looks through the Parsha, it does not say Asher. It says Ve'im, by all the other things. Ve'im, and if a person does this and this and this, this is what he has to do. But over here it says by the Nosi, by the Melech, Asher Nosi Yechato. So Rashi says, Judy, you'll, you'll enjoy this for it, Asher Nasi Yecheto, that the word is employed, Asher, to tell you Ashrei. Happy is the generation where the Nasi does the Avera B'Shoigeg. What does that mean? Like lucky is the generation. So Rav David Feinstein used to always say Zechrona Levracha, Zechit Tzadik Levracha. He always used to say because leadership brings with it ego. That means when someone's elected to be the new this or that, from the president down, the person moves into a posture of leadership, being listened to, everyone standing up for him. The Kohen Gordel took a haircut once a week, but the Melech Yisrael took a haircut every day. Every day, Malchus, royalty, majesty. So... If, let's say, in most cases, a leader discovers he made a big mistake, he's not ready so fast to jump and to say in front of 200, yeah, well, I did make a mistake and I apologize. They would look for some way out. I thought this, I meant that. I was told this, I was told that. They look for a way to cushion straightening out the situation. And therefore, Reb David said that when the Pusik employs Asher, and Rashi says it means happy, because we're lucky. If you come to a king with all the pomp and all the ceremony, is able to stand up like a regular person and say, I told you to do this and that, and it was a mistake. And I'm bringing a carbon now to the Beis Hamikdash. Now, others, other Mephorshims say that that's not really the, 
the, the idea that we want to convey, but the idea was that many wanted to do a new approach. That means he came in and he said, you know, the past has been this and that, but when it comes to the Torah, we can't look for new approaches. That means we can develop it to, to become, uh, you, in, uh, 200 years ago, they didn't make a Shabbaton. And today they make it a, to revive and to uplift and to encourage and create atmosphere. So there are new approaches, but it doesn't touch on the essence of Yiddishkeit. Now, if somebody thought that they should do something, a king, that, well, this will be for the betterment of the people, and he can get up and say, no, I deviated a little bit. I beshogged, we did an Avera, hoping it was a new approach and beneficial. And it turned out not to be beneficial. So then... Asher Nosiechata, lucky is the nation that has a Nosi. Now, Rav Shimon Schwab, Zechron Levracha, used to say in the Gemara Chagiga, the Gemara Chagiga says that we know that Yeshayahu cursed Klal Yisrael when he saw there was going to be a Chorban and they didn't do any turnaround, any, anything to make things better. So he gave them 18 curses and he was angry at them and he was going to continue on cursing. But he stopped by the 18th and the Gemara says, Niskara Rodaito. He suddenly became at peace with himself. He was satisfied. What was this 18th curse that suddenly he became so comfortable? He became, oh, okay. I wanted to tell them off, I wanted to curse them, and I did what I had to do. Yirhavunar Bizokin that he said to them that the young generation are gonna laugh in the faces of the elders. In other words, a hundred years ago when a grandchild came into a Bubby's house, they came in, Bubby, what can I bring you? What can I do? And a lot of that still exists, but in attitude with what they think is right and wrong, they look at the Bubby like a wonderful person who they love more than anything else. But she never grew up with cell phone and with fax machines and with copy machines and with all the modern technology. Believe me, without all the modern technology, that Bubba and Zayda understood life and how to live better than the ones today with all the machinery and technology and everything that, that we have. So... Rav Shimon Shrub used to say that Yiravunar Bezokim, that when he gave that curse, so the Pasuk says, Asher Nosi Yechata, that when the example of the Melech wasn't to go to the youth and to tell them off, but it was to be able to, through love, 
to be able to deal with the situations. And that's why happy is the generation that has a nasi, a melech, who is capable of doing that. And the There is an interesting word. Sometimes it's a little bit hard for us to accept it, but the halacha is and the pasuk and this week, etc., that says that if he did velo yoda venosa avono, Rashi says that that pasuk is going on a suffolk chorus. That if a person had in front of him two pieces of meat, we know, we know that. In a kosher animal, there is a section that has chaylev, certain fat, that if a person eats it, it's not like he eats a treif meat, he gets a iser chorus, he gets a penalty of chorus, which is much more severe. And that's why I always say to someone who says, well, I ate all those treif steaks, so I have a lav, I have a, like a yeshiva boy who deviated and he was eating a treif steak. So I said, no, you don't have a lav because if you're eating a treif steak, they could have some of the chayla, some of that fat, that there's an iser diorisa of chorus. So it's not so simple. It's like eating chomets on Pesach or eating on Yom Kippur just to put it into perspective. So the halacha is, Rashi says, that this is going on a Suffolk chorus, that somebody was standing in front of two pieces of meat, and he thought they were both kosher. He thought they were 100% kosher, and he ate them. Then he found out that there was a question that one of them was chaylev, was absolutely treif. You could not eat it. He did it for shogig. He thought for whatever reason, somebody told him or whatever, that it was kosher. But the halacha is that he has to bring a carbon for kapara. Now, most of us would say, why does he have to bring? I mean, he had no question in his mind when he ate the two pieces. And if he ate one piece, that's the suffolk, and that's what we're talking about. That maybe, well, one was definitely, he found out later. But when he ate it, he picked a piece, and he ate it, he thought he was do doing nothing wrong. So why should he have to bring a kapara? So it's a far-fetched example. I once heard Rabbi Friend use the example. And he said, when a person makes mistakes and does averis, it's because it's not etched into the essence of him that it is so unthinkable, he hasn't trained his mind, that he would never come to such a mistake. And he said, his example was, did you ever see somebody run out of their house in the morning with their talus and tefillin in their hand and they forgot to put on their pants? 
And a person said, well, I forgot this, I forgot that, but I never ran out without my pants on. I went out. So when a person goes Shabbos morning into a bathroom, half asleep, wash Negevas, or goes in and turns off, oh, what did I just do? It's Shabbos today. I forgot. I got out of bed. I'm half asleep. I don't know. He said, because Shabbos didn't permeate with the fear and the love that it should have to such a point. I mean, if a person had a newborn baby in a little cradle right next to his bed, would he get out of that bed and step on the baby by mistake? Because he would be trembling as he got out of the bed not to come near the baby. And that should be our Shabbos. That we should be able to have it put into our minds and our hearts, instilled, inculcated so thoroughly that there is the shaking position that we have of Chas Shalom crossing the line and doing something which could violate. Now we're all human and things things happen, but that's what the Mephorshim say, why this person who innocently thought they were both kosher, he picked one, he ate it, and then he's told, you know that there's a question that one of those two was chalev? Uh-oh, you got to go bring a kapara. You have to go bring a carbon. Why should I bring a carbon? I thought I was innocent. A hundred percent. Absolutely. But why did you come to it that you didn't check it out before you put it into your mouth? Why didn't you go the extra step? You know, people say, um, someone asks someone, uh, why are you eating that cake or that candy? How do you know it's kosher? There's no oh you or okay on it. Oh, because this and this person said so. Now, if it was a question that's coming, somebody came up to you and said, you know, there was an alarm posted that some poison fell in to the cakes of that bakery, that company. And they don't know which cakes it fell into. That guy wouldn't, and it, it's poison. Chris could die from it. He wouldn't be eating the cake. Know, he wouldn't be eating the cake so quickly. But you know, Rabbi Balkany, there are really cases where people forgot that they had a child in the back seat and fallen asleep, or a bus driver. He didn't realize that there was a child asleep. And, in, and in most cases, they're still not with murder, but they're charged with manslaughter. Second degree, third degree, whatever it's called. But that person, Sometimes you forgot that a child. No, Listen, no one is accusing no one is accusing them of killing a child. But on the other hand, the fact that they were not shaking, putting a child into a car and not really did they forget their purse? You know, did that they can happen, especially if let's say a mother takes it all the time. There are many cases among the Haredi. The mother takes all the time, but this time she had to go to show all the husband. Going to call the he forgot that he passed a child, and it really happened. It what you're saying is accurate, but it is not conventional attitude to just push it off. Well, she forgot. There's a dead child here. That yeah, mother was not vigilant time. enough, was not responsible enough. That's not like you dropped a hot coffee on someone. You tripped. I mean, 
What could you? That's called an accident. I know the modern modern couple. A modern Orthodox couple. I guess they had, didn't have a child, but they really forgot they had a child. They went out to the movies. Oh my God! In the middle of the movies, they realized they forgot to have a baby. How did they leave the room? They came off. It could happen. I'm telling you, these are normal people. They're normal people, but this vort that I just said, it wasn't etched into the essence of their very fiber and being, the concept of having a child. That's the reason the Mepharshim say that this person with the Suffolk Chalev, the Mepharshim said, that's why the Ramban talks about it. That it's not enough to just say, I'm sorry, I forgot. There's serious things when you deal with serious situations. A child anywhere is serious. And that's why many people that left open the gate to their backyard pool and a child died, it wasn't just brushed off like, okay, try to remember next time. But they were held accountable. Do you remember in Nancy where a lot of people have been eating chicken, they sure thought it was uh, kosher, but then an uh, Asian inspector from the New York State Department saw, how come I have these all these wrappers in the garbage? Where are those chickens? And I have a kosher chickens here. And it turned out people had been eaten on kosher. Were the people innocent? Well, I don't know what to tell you. The answer is yes. I don't mean The answer is yes, but they had to throw out all their dishes. Yeah, but they were in. But they had to throw out their dishes. Okay, so if they were so that. innocent, like why shouldn't why shouldn't I be able to kasher no, or do not, this and do okay, that? Besides kashras, your example, it's Timtum Halev. Metamtum Delev and on the radio one Motsoi Shabbos when I had call-ins. I don't I cut out the call-ins. But there was a time that we had people calling in the last forty minutes. So a lady from Muncie in that story called in and said, I went through the concentration camp. And even though I was allowed to eat treif, because it was a question of survival, it was survival. I, at the, at the thin hair of life and death, I, right or wrong, I never put treif in my mouth. And I was at the brink of death every day. But And I never, ever, ever put a tray thing. Then I moved to Muncie with 150,000 from Yidden and Yeshivas and Mikvos and everything. And I find out that for three, year I'm e- three years I'm eating chicken. Uh, chicken or whatever it was. It was meat, meat or chicken. No, it was chicken. It was chicken. Anyway, okay, and I was eating it. And I'm tra- so she asked me on the radio. I know that in Shemayim I was innocent. There was a Rabbi Machshir. There was a there was a, a person who came in every week to make sure everything was good. <clears throat> We're allowed to rely on that. I mean, the whole the, the Rishonim say, how can you go into someone's house and eat? Do you have Adas that there was in the kitchen that the stuff was made is kosher? and cooked properly, and that they didn't pour some milk or put butter into the... Do you have Adas? But the answer is, even a woman. That's how she can come home and tell her husband, I am Tahora. 
and we trust her. We don't have to have Edim. So if she cooks in the kitchen and says everything is 100%, we eat it. We're allowed to eat it. So what what you did, so of course, Klapish Shmaya, what you did, I said to the lady, you're innocent. She said, what about Tim Tum Halev? She asked me, I, I <clears throat> desecrated, I, I drenched ruchnius, meaning spiritual. It says by food, if you eat tray food, no other aver. If someone's machal Shabbos, they have the avera of chil Shabbos. But if you eat tray, if you have the avera, plus you drench your neshama with tumma. It's called timtumalev. And the truth is that if somebody took a cup of water and someone put poison in, in it, and the, the person drinking didn't know it, and it's sitting there for them, the cup of water, and they make a bracha, and, uh, and they drop to the floor, they're dead. They don't go up and are judged for suicide. They drank it. They picked up the cup. But they didn't know there was poison in it. But they're dead. They're dead. They're innocent from suicide. But they're still dead. The Tim Tumalev happened, but I didn't have the heart to tell this woman who for six years was in Auschwitz, or for four years, and went through what she went through, that she now has the Tim Tumalev. So I, I skirted the issue But a there was a, a, one thing was good. There were some real kosher chickens too. Maybe she made sure that every time she bought, she got them. That's a that's a question, Papi Mala. That's not a question by us. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us this evening. Yes, Esther. Okay. My question is: When someone had to bring a carbon, the Kohen that they, that uh, did these sacrifices. He knew what their sin was because of the carbon. The, the Arizal says Beferish and Reb Chaim Vital is Talmud Muvik brings in Likute Torah from the Arizal that every Koyen who stepped forward to deal with an individual and a carbon saw on his forehead with his Ruach Hakodesh what Avera the person did and what he was doing. He didn't discuss it with him. But Minashamayim, so that he should bring the full kapara, he had in his he had in his machshava the whole time because he saw on his forehead exactly what he did. Wow. Good evening. Thank you for joining us.